Mango Hunters. Welcome to Supernatural Books, the Winchesters and Prose. Diana singing to my cat. <laughs> I am amazing at guitar riffs. <laughs> Not actually singing. <laughs> this is going to be part one of book number one. And the book, I've already forgotten the title, Nevermore by Keith R.A. DeCandido. So, <laughs> DeCandido has a lot of acknowledgments in the book, but there are a couple that I want to read. He's got like two pages worth of acknowledgments. Yeah, he's got a lot of acknowledgments. He's these... very, very grateful. And we love him for that. But here are the couple that I like. To Eric Kripke, who could have just done a show about two pretty guys who shoot monsters in the head, but has given us something far more than that in Supernatural. It's a show about two brothers. It's a show about family. It's a show about demons, both physical and internal. It's a show about the importance of music, and it's a show about people. To Jensen Ackles and Jared Padalecki, the voices and faces of Dean and Sam Winchester. Again, they could have just stood around and looked looked pretty. Who's steal. <laughs> but they infused their characters with, well, character, which made it much more fun to get inside their heads for a novel. And again, the historian's note, the novel takes place between the second season, Supernatural episodes, Crossroad Blues, and Croatoan. Croatoan's also an amazing episode. Mm-hmm. I loved that episode. I also love the mythology of Croatoan, though. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to give... I think this first chapter is broken into three scenes. I'm going to read the first paragraph or so of the scenes and give a synopsis, and we'll discuss them after. Oh, I have things to discuss. I have highlighted words. Yes. Okay. Mostly because they're not words. Chapter one, scene one, Fordham University, the Bronx, New York, Sunday, 12 November, 2006. We already know Dick and Dito went to Fordham University and it's from the Bronx. That's one of those places you, you'll never see Sam and Dean. I don't think there's ever been an episode like New York City-ish. There's been, like, one, whether it be in Chicago or someplace, but... But New York City's too crowded, plus you can't really make... What is it, Vancouver? Yeah. You can't make that look like New York City. Uh, A side note, and this is funny, uh, in a recent episode, they were supposedly in uh, Columbus, Ohio, or some other place in Ohio. That's not adorable. (laughs) The cop car on on the side said Toronto (laughs) police. Okay, just so everyone knows, there is more than one Columbus, but not more than one Columbus, Ohio... We are not in Canada. <laughs> yeah. But that one that one got past the uh, the depart whatever department is in charge of making it look like they're in other places. Either that or showing how little fucks they give anymore. I can guarantee that the Columbus City Police Department do not have the word Toronto emblazoned across their cruisers. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Back to here. A chill November breeze blew John Cedar's hair into his face. Mother Nature's reminder to get a haircut in the absence of his actual mother being around to nag him about it. She was back in Ohio, where it was safe, and also 10 degrees colder than it was here in the Bronx. If Emily Cedar could see her son's shaggy mop of brown hair, she'd make that clicking noise she always made and offer to call to make the haircutting appointment herself. John loved attending Fordham University for about a thousand reasons, but its considerable distance from his mother numbered high on that list. John and his roommate, Kevin Bayer, are heading back to their apartment after finishing up the latest issue of the school paper, of which they are co-editors. They exit the campus. Their apartment is only a few blocks away. John tells Kevin that he wants to hurry so he can get home and get change for Amy's, Amy's party. Kevin has forgotten about the party and says he can't attend due to an 8.30 class in the morning. John tells him to skip it, but Kevin says, no way, that Dr. Mendez takes attendance and he can't miss anymore. 
John reflects inwardly on the stark transition between the Fordham University campus with grass and trees, a mix of old and new buildings, and wouldn't have been out of place in a sleepy town somewhere in New England, to when you stepped through the wrought iron gates and found yourself in the midst of the Bronx. John asks Kevin why he signed up for an 8.30 Monday morning class anyway when he knew he'd be up late most Sunday nights, and Kevin says that it was the only medieval lit class he could take. And I'm actually in a medieval lit class at the moment. Yeah, but everyone who goes to college knows not to take the 8.30 class. Yeah, no, see, like, mine's online. I mean, I love brick-and-mortar classes, but anyway. Do you want to be John or Kevin? Yeah, let's let's dry read. I haven't done that since college. (laughs) Choose one. I have assigned a name to one of my hands. You're Kevin. Okay. <laughs> Rest and Beast, the author, is proud to present That Time John and Kevin Talk About Father O'Sullivan's Tenure. And you're not taking a medieval lit class next semester. Why exactly? Okay, dude, because, like, Dr. Mendez will be on sabbatical, and that means Father O'Sullivan. Yeah, and? Father O'Sullivan's tenure since, like, the Dark Ages. Middle Ages. What? It wasn't the Dark Ages. They don't call it that anymore. It's called... Dude, the Roman Empire had indoor plumbing. The whole the Empire peed out their windows. It was the Dark Ages. Father O'Sullivan got tenure in, I swear to God, like 1946. Dude, my father was born in 1946. My point. The man's a freaking fossil. There's no way I'm taking a class with him. Whatever. You should still come to the party. No way. I need my beauty rest. Ain't enough sleep in the world to make that happen. Bite me entirely, dude. I wanted to do that only for the bite me entirely, dude. Bite me entirely. I'm glad I got the snarky one because like, okay, Father O'Sullivan, first of all, 1946, this is, okay, so right, I get it, like 2006. Uh I don't feel like anyone's dad was born in 1946. My grandparents were born in the 40s. Yeah, because 1940, that would put him at 70 in 2006. Super. That is a super old scandal right there. And I'm not going to like put too much pressure on it just because, okay, my dad... His parents were 20 years apart because it was like, I don't know. My family's got drama. Who knows? (laughs) That'll be on a different podcast. Stay tuned. Uh, Okay, so continuing on the scene, the pair continues on their path home talking about the party and girls. And Kevin says, what the hell's that? At first, John thinks it's a homeless man rummaging through a garbage can, which sadly isn't an unusual sight in New York. They both halt in their tracks. John says, that's a baboon. But Kevin corrects him to orangutan. The baboon or orangutan or whatever it is looks over at them and hisses. And the boys are pretty sure that neither baboons nor orangutans hiss. I don't know, but it'd be pretty terrifying regardless. Yeah. Because this is King Kong shit. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Apes are... I have an issue with monkeys in general. Yeah. I don't find them as cute as other people do. I don't know if they're just too human or if it's... I don't know what, but most of them are mean. (laughs) Great apes are strong as fuck. And you know why they can't swim? Because they're so densely muscled that they sink to the bottom. They're strong. They're heavy. They're scary. And they lift, bro. Yeah. But, I mean, their babies are cute, but that's about yeah, it. Yeah, but, like, every baby's is cute because... Not like, human th- babies. They're human... Even human... Some human babies. Ugh. I've had a lot of friends recently have babies, and I can't... I cannot tell you how much of an awful person I guess I am because, like, only, like, three of them are actually cute. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, some babies are cute in small doses. Anyway, uh, John's phone is dead, so he urges Kevin to dial 911, but the simian charges them. It attacks them, screeching, howling, and hitting them both really hard. 
One smack hits John in the side of the head, and he literally sees stars. Up to now, he always thought that that just happens in the cartoons. The creature is no longer hitting John. He's able to roll over enough to see it pick up Kevin and throw him into a fence, and John hears a snap. It's like nothing he has ever heard in his life, and because of this, he knows that Kevin is dead. The orangutan, or baboon, or gorilla, or whatever, turns its attention back to John. He did. Yeah. That's I actually kind of like like those boys. I do feel like we get way more backstory into these characters than you would on like the first scene of Supernatural. To me, it makes them feel like humans, like actual people. Stephen King is really good. Even if it's a tiny minor character, he'll give you some of their backstory yeah. so you feel a connection to them. I just, I feel like this was written by a guy who didn't know really how college kids talked anymore because... <laughs> just a little bit you know it's not it's no shade at all uh-huh. but it's very it's very hard to write younger he did go to Fordham and he is from the Bronx so at okay, least so he I'm has I'm also gonna put Academe an oasis of Academe does <laughs> no <laughs> eh it's a word sure it is I, I'm going to let you guys know, I am an overly critical person, so I'm definitely going to be the shady character. And I'm a big goofball, if you haven't guessed that already. Because, like, what is that? Constabulary? Constabulary. Yeah. No I, one uses that word. I know what it is. Comes up in scene two. Nobody hold, uses it. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. But I have a, I have a theory on that when we get to it. <sighs> so... <laughs> All right, anything else about scene two we want to talk about? It's just setting up a, a time and something that shouldn't happen happened, and it was a horrible way for these kids to die. Before anyone goes, how did no one see this in a crowded city like New York City? No one sees anything at all. And this is like, I know this is way before phones became like the reason we don't see anything, but it's almost like any small town or any big city, there's a code. Mm-hmm. You didn't see shit. Because then you're involved. And I imagine in a place like New York City, too, there is so much to see that it's overwhelming and you just eventually see nothing and you just go about your day. Well, it's because, like, okay, nine out of ten people, it's like, you know you watch a horror movie and there's that one idiot who follows the screen. That would be me. And that idiot normally dies. Mm -hmm. I'm not calling you an idiot. I'm just saying (laughs) that idiot normally dies. So the other nine people didn't follow the screen. Yeah. But they should have at least hopefully reported it to police. Well, that's... What is that psychological theory where they think someone else has Diffusion done it? of responsibility. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that like is a I'm thing. sure someone else has done it. Yeah. And, and that's, I've, I've been guilty of that. Yeah. It, it's, it's a normal thing that we as humans do is we... If we hear something going on... We year. assume someone else has got we it. We assume someone else... Like, someone else is calling. Someone else is calling. I will say, if you want to be a decent human being, never assume someone else has got it. Yeah. It's also, I think, sometimes called the bystander effect. Yeah, it's the bystander effect. Yeah. Like, I saw a video of a guy who had, was having some kind of health issue standing in line, and he collapsed to the pavement. Even his friends were just kind of, like, they were trying to help him, but then they eventually, when the line moved, they moved. And he lay there for, like, 20 or 30 minutes before ambulance finally came. People mm-hmm. were just standing there. Like, they weren't even paying attention. And I don't know if, if we live in a society where people think, oh, he's just on drugs, or he's just drunk. Well, I think a lot of us, too, are scared to get involved, because it doesn't always go well for the benefactor. Yeah. I'm certified in CPR and first aid and like they go way over the top about how you're supposed to address someone Mm -hmm. so that you don't get sued. Yeah. (sighs) The world sucks, man. So on to chapter one, scene two. The second boy took forever to die. At least the first one was taken care of quickly, but the other one, the one who kept muttering to himself after the first one died, the orangutan had to keep punching and punching until he finally gave in. 
Once the second one breathed his last, he spoke the incantation one final time, then stepped on the burning wormwood to put it out. A few charred bits of wormwood leaf were left on the pavement, but the wind would scatter that in due course. And even if they found it, no one was likely to connect it to an escaped orangutan beating two people to death. The unknown person didn't find this task pleasant, but it is necessary, and it had to be done tonight in the last quarter moon, just as the first one had to be done on the full moon on the fifth. That person's body was discovered by the, quote, constabulary, unquote, sooner than he expected, but so far he's found himself in the clear. Once he is sure this small fire is out, he makes his way through a trash-filled alley and, after taking careful aim, shoots a tranquilizer dart into the neck of the orangutan. It falls to the pavement. He removes the dart with a gloved hand, then heads to his car. On the way, he pulls out a burner phone he bought earlier and calls 911 to report the animal attack. He tosses the burner phone in the trash and gets in his car. Okay. First of all, the boy muttering to himself sticks out to me just because it's like, of course he is. Yes. He's freaking he's out. He's in shock. Yeah. He, this is like, this isn't happening. This isn't happening. Yeah. Like, to me, that's what he's saying. Like, this isn't happening. This isn't happening. But, like, can we please, for one second... This is setting the stage for whoever the monster of the week is. And I will... Any human who does this kind of stuff is also a monster. They are the monster of the week. Yeah. Can we talk about how extra this guy is? <laughs> That's why I think... Because it, it comes up pretty early that um, there's Edgar Allan Poe connections. I know. And to me, that's like that's even more extra. Yeah. And I think that's why the word constabulary was used. Because it's going back to like a Victorian age. Do you think age. he's saying it as the villain? I think he's saying it as the villain, as having some kind of Poe connection. I'm thinking of like the Mad Hatter and Batman. He's kind of like in that mindset of... The Victorian era. And like, to me, this is almost RuPaul-level extra when yeah. it comes to not... Okay, you're killing someone. I'm sure whatever spell book you had did not say orangutan attack. That is super extra. It's going to get even more extra because, like, okay, Edgar Allan Poe was the drama queen of his time. And we love him. And we love him. But I'm also, like, a goth kid at heart, so I have to love him because I have that flair for dramatic in me. Because anyone who was goth or emo back in the day, you were dramatic. It was just in black and white. Yeah, he was capital E emo before it was a thing. Oh, my gosh. Could you imagine a girl poe with, like, a swoosh? Oh, my God. (laughs) I, I bet he would wear eyeshadow, too. Oh, for sure. So it's just, like, to me, it's setting the scene of, like, all right, guys, buckle in. This is going to be super over the top. We are throwing all the rule books out. <laughs> Don't expect this to be any sort of reality. And yeah. I'm here for it. I'm cool. Yeah. And apparently the last line of that in the unknown villains in our monologue is two down, two to go. Then at last, the answer will be mine. Yeah, you have to say it dramatically. Yes. Because it's just like, there's no... I'm, I'm picturing like high school drama theater. Dr. Like, Orpheus on Ninja Brothers. Like, it's so insane. It's like, okay, the answer. Clenched fist raised in the air. Uh, this is like, okay, well, I guess we're doing this. Yeah. What answer involves a gorilla orangutan attack? You know, it's just like, okay, hmm. fine. Yes. Also, Wormwood? Hmm. Wasn't that a uh, Doctor Who thing? Well, it's a Harry Potter thing. But it's also like, it's a poison. What was the, uh, what's but the... that's old school. What's the, uh, the Doctor Who thing with, um, the face guy? What's his words? The face guy. <laughs> you just described all of them. 
The one who is literally the face. Face of Bo? Yeah. Before he was the face of Bo. Jack Harkness. Yes. So wasn't there something about <laughs> a secret um, a secret organization called Wormwood? Torchwood. That was close. Because it's an anagram for Doctor Who. God damn it! <laughs> uh, I love that man. If you want to talk about extra. Oh, the gayest man on the planet, and I, I love him to death. Yeah. Hello, I'm Patrick Hines. Hi, I'm Jillian Pensavalli. And we are True, True Crime Obsessed. We harmonized. <laughs> How did that happen? Okay, Jillian, let's tell our tens of fans. In the theater community. Exactly. <laughs> what this true crime podcast even is. If you have notes in the margin of your beat up copy of the Zodiac book. If you're obsessed with There's Something Wrong with Aunt Diane and all of your friends think it's creepy that you want to watch it for a fourth time. If you want to talk about wrongful convictions at a cocktail party. If you're pretty sure Adnan didn't do it, but you're going to listen to Serial Season 1 four more times just to make sure. Have, have we, we got, got a, a podcast, podcast for you? you. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out at truecrimeobsessed.com. And if you want to send us suggestions of documentaries, movies, podcasts you want to hear us talk about, email us at truecrimeobsessed at gmail.com. You guys, this is going to be the funnest true crime podcast ever. Which is creepy in and of itself to say, but I'm in all the way. Let's have fun with all this murder and gore and exactly. terrible things that keep you up at night. We'll see you Friday, May 12th for episodes one and two. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, this is Steven. And this is Chris. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Is This Adulting? Every week, we're going to sit down to have a discussion about life, culture, our own mental health struggles, and just about anything you can think of. Have you ever wondered which breakfast cereal's the best? Or how to help your friends who are dealing with mental illness? Or why waterbeds were a thing? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then have we got a show for you. We'll be launching on April 6th, with new episodes being released every Thursday. Until then, you can check us out on Facebook, follow us over on Twitter at isthis underscore adulting, consider supporting us over on Patreon at patreon.com backslash isthisadulting, or swipe right on Tinder. Nope. Oh, it's... so that's just me then. Well, go ahead and subscribe to the show so you won't miss a single episode of this weird and funny adventure as two overgrown man-children navigate life together. So we'll see you all on April 6th. And remember, kids, be happy, stay healthy, and go hug someone. Because you never know, they might just be starting a podcast. So chapter two, it, there are no scenes in chapter two. It is one big scene. So I'll just read the first couple paragraphs, like I said, and then synopsize the chapter. <laughs> I, I, have to, I have to say, I do love the introspection of Sam and Dean in this. And it's, it's very true to their character. Yeah. Chapter two. Bowles Motel and Lodge, South Bend, Indiana, Wednesday, 15 November 2006. That's the problem with the job, Sammy. Sometimes you hit a dead end. Sam Winchester silently agreed with his brother, Dean, as they did their final check of the motel room before hauling their stuff out to the car. Their father had drilled into them from a young age, always to scour a room before checking out, as it wouldn't do to leave personal stuff lying around, especially when some of that stuff included exotic weaponry and ancient grimoires. 
The boys are checking out of a motel. Their most recent job turned out to be not a job at all. It turned out to really be a suicide. But at least they got to see beautiful South Bend, Indiana. <laughs> which is in the north of the state. Why is it called South Bend when it's in the north? If it's south of the bend. <sighs> <laughs> Um, they put their gear in the trunk of the 67 Impala. Sam has to use his left hand because his right is still in a cast. And we'll mention that in a bit. Sam notices their laundry bag is getting rather full and tells Dean they have to do laundry soon. Not here, Dean replies, worried about the local cops. After all, Dean is still wanted for a series of murders committed by a shapeshifter that took his form earlier in the year in St. Louis. Oh my gosh, the shapeshifter. That storyline infuriated me. Yeah. I got so frustrated with it. But I did like the FBI agent. He wasn't around long enough. <sighs> After stowing their gear, the brothers go into the shabby office to check out. The woman, Monica, informs Dean that his credit card was declined and she tried it three times. Dean seems at a loss and Sam realizes finally that the reason is because none of his other credit cards in Dean's possession would have the name Dean Winwood on it. Sam withdraws one of his own fake credit cards and offers it to the clerk. Monica looks at the card. I thought you two was brothers. Sam replies smoothly, We are, but I was adopted. By the time I tracked down my birth parents, they had both died, so I changed my name to McGillicuddy in tribute to them. This melts Monica's heart. She runs the card, and it's approved. On their way back to the Impala, Dean compliments, quote-unquote, Samich, on his nice save. (laughs) We learn that Sam's skills in lying, both in terms of pretending to be someone else and in misleading people as to the nature of his life, is initially what attracted him to study law. Since that part of his life is over, the skills come in just as handy in the hunter life. Dean checks his phone and sees that he has a missed call from Ellen. Years of listening to loud music and using firearms had played merry hell with Dean's hearing, so he kept his cell's volume up way too loud. This meant Sam could hear Ellen's tinny voice over the phone speaker. Ellen informs Dean that she has a job for the brothers. It's actually for Ash. He wouldn't ask himself, but Ellen figures that since Ash did a favor for the Winchesters, they might be willing to do one back. Dean says, Sure, I guess. Always had a soft spot for that mullet head. What's he need? After the phone call, Dean double-checks with Sam. That road will take us to 80, right? Sam replies, I think so, yeah. Why? Where's the job? Dean says, the town's so nice, they named it twice. New York, New York. So Sam goes back to the trunk, telling Dean that he wants to show him something, that he's noticed a couple of murders that took place there. And Dean says, Sam, it's New York. They get like 50 murders a day. Sam says, well, this is probably why they flew under the radar. They look at some clippings of photocopy newspapers. A man bricked up in a building's basement, and this past Sunday, two college kids beaten to death by an orangutan. <laughs> Sorry, I just can't get over that. <laughs> I know it's tragic. People died, but it's like, come on. Sam says, that's two murders that are right out of Edgar Allan Poe short stories. Technically three murders. Though. I'm calling that three because the orangutan was definitely put down, and I am not here for that. Well, there are two boys. No. Two two kids. They're counting like, okay, they're counting, I think if they're counting it as clump. Clump, clump, clump. But that orangutan died, and as much as I'm not super fond of any kind of monkey. Yeah. He was bewitched. It wasn't his fault. It's not his fault. At all. These both happened in the Bronx, and Poe used to live in the Bronx, which I did not know. You ever seen any from like Pittsburgh or something? Philadelphia, I think. What is Boston. Somewhere on the East Coast. That might be Boston. (laughs) (laughs) I just feel like everything that creepy and mysterious happens in Boston. (laughs) The Winchesters also note the relation of the moon phase to the dates of the murders. Sam says that since they're going to New York anyway, they could check it out while they're doing whatever it is they're doing. 
And Dean informs Sam that a friend of Ash's is having ghost issues. Justice. <laughs> they get back in the car. And Sam says, that's really weird. Dean says, what, that there be a haunting? We see them all the time. No, that Ash would have a friend. Poor Ash. Dean fires up Enter Sandman by Metallica. Of course he did. And the Impala backs out of the parking spot and heads out onto the open road. And that's chapter two. (sighs) What are you going to call? Winchester. (laughs) I don't know if anyone's seen that video. It's from uh, the Hillywood show. And it's, I think, the second one of the Supernatural parodies. It is amazing. And they actually got Sam and Dean for it. I did want to note that Jared Padalecki did really have a broken arm. But that's because he did something stupid. Yeah, they got in, like, a bar fight or something. Yeah. It, it Was it at the end of Crossroad? No, what, what episode was that? Where he, There was an episode where he fought some... It might have been Crossroad Blues. And at the end, he's got his arm... He's got a shovel over his shoulder, and he's got his arm kind of in the shovel handle. That was actually working as a sling, because... Yeah. He did a Jared thing and broke his arm, okay? Yeah. And they, yeah, he had to hold it in a shovel to finish recording. And I'm going to just say it was like a Padalecki prank going horribly awry. Either that or I think it was like a bar fight. I feel like with any serious show that you got to act up or else you're going to you're going to lose your mind because like they're super like hardcore. Everything's the end, literally the end of the world. Yeah. Not to mention actors work 16 hours a day. They have to keep exercise and diet regimens. They Well, not only that, but you know, Jared, he's got mental health issues mm-hmm. and like you got to do something to kind of like keep yourself from losing it, being that yeah. tired. and. Oh, yeah. I think anyone who's worked in any kind of theater knows you're going to be that tired. Yeah. And that's hard seeing stuff because uh, I deal with depression, and that shit makes it so that you don't even want to get out of bed. So the fact that he gets up and oh, I'm works so a huge day, yeah. So and that props to him for being open about it because it's something that millions of people deal with. Well, so. his just keep fighting campaign really like touches me too because mm-hmm. you know like I am a suicide survivor, mm-hmm. and uh, I have bipolar disorder and general anxiety disorder and every disorder it's like we're just gonna laugh at it because otherwise we're gonna cry and crying what's crying gonna do and uh i want to do a shout out to one of my favorite podcasts is this adulting because they talk about mental health issues they address mental health issues one joke at a time and if you haven't listened to it they're wonderful they're just a couple guys in north carolina and they're just beautiful baby boys well it's like you know my cousin recently because she's going through teenage stuff because she's 16 now. And, uh, you know, I kind of told her some of my past. And she was like, you know, I told her about the suicide attempt. And how you really don't want to go down that road. And she's just like, you're really open about it. And I'm just like, yeah, because what else am I going to do? Yeah. It should be open. It's a, it's an illness. It's, it should be treated the same as physical illnesses. Uh, because chemical imbalances, synapses, misfiring in the brain. It is a physical Thing. It just happens to be in an organ that affects our perspective on reality, affects our emotions, how we deal with things. So, mm-hmm. But it is still a physical problem. And it's a daily problem. Like, you know, I'm married and my husband has a daily learning curve of how my brain works because it does not work normally, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. But, it's, you know, for me, emotions, sometimes I have to remind myself that those are actually a thing people factor into their daily lives, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's one of those, it's just like, I separate that a lot from myself because I need to survive. Yeah. I saw how you were when they announced the end of Supernatural. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Full on, like, 
complete where is my fainting couch i was all over <laughs> that for sure and it's like you know but it's like you know i think a lot of people too who have mental disorders they do disassociate all from a lot of things where it's like and you start to think you know maybe i don't feel like normal people do mm-hmm. because my two switches of emotions are rage cry or mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or it's just like i don't i don't know it's just stuff you work through yeah yeah it's a daily thing and i'm glad that i can step back and be in a mindset of okay this is just I'm riding this wave right now, but when you're in it, it feels like it's going to be like that forever. And, and this- a lot of times, you don't always realize you're in it. Yeah. But, boy, that got deep fast. Yeah. How do you do that? We went from, like, Jared's broken arm to... Well, Jared's just a very deep well to dive into, you know? Because he's talk- so tall. Oh, my God, so tall. Uh, he's, like, my husband's height. Yeah. So, and I'm pretty tall. Yeah. But- you're, what, 5'11"? 5'11", 6 foot, depending on the shoes. Oh, I'm so jealous. I'm 5'5 five five on a good day. I will say if you're around tall, if I'm around tall people, I start to understand the short person problem because I've never understood it because mm-hmm. I'm just like, I don't get it. And then like, you know, I worked with a guy who was like seven foot tall and I was like, oh, now I get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's get back to the book. <laughs> do we want to sit? What, what do we think of a chapter two? You mentioned like, yeah, we don't see a lot of the boys going to large cities. There have been like a... Like a, a couple of well, episodes. You know, and they're also doing what's easy for them to replicate mm-hmm. and film because something like New York City is so expensive to film in. Mm-hmm. And you have to deal with traffic and all that stuff. And if they're filming in Vancouver, I mean, they still got to pay to do you that. You can make Canada look like somewhere like Michigan or Columbus mm-hmm. or anything like that. Unless you forget to remove the word Toronto from your <laughs> fucking police car. Okay, but besides that, maybe it's just like, a, maybe it's like an Easter egg. But it was, like, that big. It's a giant Easter egg. <laughs> but, Give them some sort of credit. I don't know. They, they don't sleep, like, all year, so. Yeah. Maybe they thought, like, oh, we'll go in later and CGI it, and they just. Like, when I'm working, like, at the end of the day, I could stare at a word and not realize it's wrong and just go, like, I know there's something wrong with this. I can't figure out. I was so sleep-deprived once what I spelled is? the word of wrong. I spelled of phonetically. <laughs> U-V. <laughs> Oh, I, I must have been going like 72 hours without sleep at that point. But yeah, so um, sandwich. Oh, don't get me started on sandwich. <laughs> this is wrong. Sandwich. First of all, Sam would never deign to be called that, even by his brother. He allows Dean to call him Sammy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's like as far as it goes. You know, I, I have a nickname uh, with my family and only like a handful of people are allowed to use it. Mm-hmm. And that's just... So I get that, but it's just like no one else calls me that. I'll be curious to see what ties to Edgar Allan Poe. I have a feeling like we're barely going to get anything with this Ash's friend having ghost issues. That's just what is going to get them Unless there. Unless it's tied in. That could be. I miss Ash. I do too. I miss the roadhouse. Yeah. <sighs> that got sad. Well, if we talk about too Supernatural too long, it's eventually going to go to it's a gonna place. It's going to happen. Yeah, this is true. That's why there's so many pranks and outtakes and jokes, because it's so sad. <laughs> but, yeah, so not a, not a whole... I mean, more happened in Chapter 1 than happened in Chapter 2. In Chapter 2, they're literally just checking out of a motel. Yeah. And they get a job, and Sam says, oh, let's 
check out this other possible job since we're going there anyway. It's, it's nice to remember, it. though, that Sam did go to law school and, like, had a life before all this happened again with yeah. Jessica. They actually, I think, mentioned Jessica in the chapter. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm sitting there like, man, that's a name I haven't heard in forever. But I think they overplay Sam's lying abilities. No, I think he's that good. Maybe it's just a Dean. He can't like when he's playing the role, like I can see him doing what he did here, picking up that. Oh yeah. We were, we're brothers, but I was adopted. I can see him picking that up nice and smooth. But when he's like trying to do some in-depth lying, especially something that involves him, he's kind of shitty at it. I don't know. Like he lied pretty well with the whole Ruby scenario. Mm. I think Dean kind of smelled something. Like when he says, I hope you're not using your powers. And he's like, no, and... I just love the storylines that just petered out. It's yeah. just like, what happened to Sam's powers? Yeah. My suggestion, wherever we want to put this, mm-hmm. my suggestion for a podcast, because I know a lot of people who like Supernatural also like true crime, mm-hmm. is True Crime Obsessed, because it's like one of the number ones. If you haven't heard of it, you're probably not super into podcasts, um, because it's definitely up there on the true crime podcasts, and it's just... They're amazing. My recommendation would be, is this adulting I mentioned earlier with uh, Stephen Pappas and Chris Grimmett, a couple of North Carolina boys that are just beautiful souls. And they discuss and are trying to take away the stigma of mental health conversations. And I just love them both so much. Yeah. As you probably say, uh, True Crime Obsessed is with... Jillian Pensavale and Patrick Hines. That's another Italian name that was Pensavale. And they're just like, to me, it almost makes me feel like back in high school when I was hanging out with the drama club. Because they're both like Broadway people who just love true crime. And they watch true crime documentaries and uh, like basically do commentary on it. And it's so upbeat and crazy. Mm -hmm. And I love it. Absolutely love it. I listen to podcasts at work. That's how I survive my days. Like, is there anything else we want to add? Well, here's the thing. The chapters are very short. Mm-hmm. So far, to me, it just seems like this is going to be more witchcraft-related. So I'd like to see what route they're going there. Because mm-hmm. I, I do get a little uptight when it comes to that sort of stuff. Because I'm so tired of it being, oh, the bad guy's a witch. But Yeah, that's the one thing that I feel like Supernatural consistently got wrong. They do better. Yeah, they've gotten better. But you, you do have to understand that a lot of what they're using is Christian mythology. Yeah. And if they're using Christ- Christian mythology, and I'm sorry if you get upset with that, but it is a mythos just like every other religion's got a mythology. Mm-hmm. Then... Of course, witches are going to be, you know, sisters of the devil or what, whatever. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, is kind of a badass way, like a craft way of looking at it. But, <laughs> you and know, basically it's just like... For the rest of us everyday witches who really don't give a fuck about, like, the quote-unquote dark arts. Yeah. The, it was, like, basically Christianity's way of trying to... It's a political move. Yeah. It's a like strong political it, move. England was... Uh, coming out of the the middle ages and christianity was taking a hold so they're trying to edge out the paganism of the people so it's just yeah that's why the pentacle became the pentagram and connected to satanism and yeah man we're just going all over the place in this <laughs> oh i hope you didn't expect me to stay on topic ever. oh no that's fine i don't stay on topic we're just gonna call them breaks call them diane breaks uh, this is where diane goes off the rails we should call it like a detour because it's it a road, is definitely a, a detour. Podcast. I'm on many detours because mm-hmm. my brain doesn't have a straight road. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
All right. I, I, some, I somehow feel like eventually fan fiction is going to make its way into this podcast at some point. Oh, for sure. It'll be fun. To me, this is just going to be like, like, I know we're basing it on the books and I'm very here for that because it's fun. But like to me, nine times out of ten, a book club is a glass of wine or something. Yeah. And you guys like just talking and hanging out with your friends. So we hope it feels like you guys are hanging out with some like-minded friends who are here for you. So we're (laughs) like, so yeah, it's like if you want to reach out and talk about something other than Supernatural, we're here for that. If you guys, we're just going to do like a chit chat basically. Mm Mm-hmm. Was the book in there somewhere? <laughs> the book will be in there. Yeah. In somewhere in, but it's probably going to be like an hour long podcast and five to 20 minutes of it will be actually the book. <laughs> and like the book will serve to kind of prompt whatever our next uh, topic of conversation is. But yeah, I was trying to think of things that happened in the chapter to dive into, but especially there's chapter not two. There's a whole lot. Yeah, there's not, like, at, at this moment in the book, there isn't a whole lot of meat to it. I'm trying to, like, my only thing is I'm trying to be more gracious towards just the topic because the Edgar Allan Poe thing's been done so many times. Mm. I'm trying to remember that this was written back in, like, 2006 when this was, oh my gosh, that's so cool. But it's, to me, it's like, uh, let's see where this goes. Yeah. Like I'm buckled in. I'm in. I'm in the Impala. I'm ready to ride. I'm just. Does the Impala even have seatbelts? It does, because that's how when it wrecked that a lot of them stayed alive. Yeah, but it's also historical. I'm. I'm curious now. Here, this we're gonna do a deep dive. Let's see. Carry on my wings with some. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry no more. <laughs> yeah, I can't really find... I'm just finding parts for replacement seatbelts. So I'm not sure if the 67 Impala actually... Because my dad... I feel like Dean would have put them in at least after. I feel like Sam would have made Dean put them in. Because he did rebuild Baby from scratch. Yeah. I'm I'm saying this because my dad had a 57 Chevy, and I know this is, like, uh, a decade newer, but that car did not have seatbelts. Also, like, I understand you guys are amazed at my masterful air guitar skills, but shout out to my brother, who's actually a guitar player. (laughs) He's a musician. He's on tour right now. Hi, Jordan. (laughs) Here we go. When did seatbelts become mandatory? 1983. Oh, that's that's sad to me. Yeah, so that is a, there's a very good chance that the 67 Impala did not have seatbelts. All right, well, that will about do it for episode two of Supernatural Books, The Winchesters and Prose. <laughs> Supernaturalprose at gmail.com or at Impala Books on Twitter. So until next time, this has been Lane. And Diane. And we'll... See you at the roadhouse. It's still not working for me. It works for me. It's not working. (laughs) Does it work? Let us know. (laughs) Bye. Bye.